Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Tuesday. It is September 21st. Off the top of my head, now that I'm speaking to you, I think that means fall may start today. It's starting sometime very soon. Autumn, if you will. Fall is what I roll with. Either way, best time of the year. Think about all the overlap. I mean, we got the fall foliage if you're into tree coloring, but we also got football going on. The college basketball types out there about to get their fill. Major League Baseball headed towards pennant races. NFL's cranked up. I don't get to watch it because Sunday is the busiest day of the week for yours truly. But what a time to be alive. Hey, what a weekend. So many of you, and by the way, welcome in. This is a mailbag Tuesday and Thursday for those of you who are new. And there are a lot of you, judging by the analytics report I got yesterday. Uh, So many of you wanted for me to tell you a little bit more about the trip I took to the Auburn-Penn State game this past weekend, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you a couple of stories that I have not had time to share, which is what this format's for. We get to kind of stretch our legs a little bit, lean back, loosen the tie in some alternate universe where I wear a tie, and we can go a little more in-depth on these sorts of things that I just don't have time to go in-depth on on Late Kick Live, but a memorable weekend, guys. Memorable. A lot of you follow along on the Instagram story, and I think I posted about 30 Instagram story updates from the Penn State game. I had a buddy call me that I always use as a sounding board. And I asked him, was it overkill? Did it get redundant at a certain point? He said, no. I actually went back and watched it multiple times. So if that tells you anything, that's probably all you need to know. And I'm going to roll with that because no one complained. But I just wanted to tell you guys, or show you, I guess, rather, what the atmosphere was like. Because I don't think that stuff translates on TV, and it's not the fault of ABC or ESPN. You just, if you've ever experienced it, you know what I mean. There is a certain level that TV can get to, and it can't go past it. Like if it's a 1 to 10 scale, it can't go past 10. But the thing about it is if you're in an 18 environment, TV cannot properly encapsulate what it's like there. The iJosh Probably can't either, but at least I'm on field level and I am truly giving you a first-person vantage point. And that's what my buddy said and what a lot of you said. You literally felt like you were there. That is the entire purpose of me going to these places. Well, number one, I just want to because I love to. Number two, I get to take as many of you as I possibly can with me by way of technology. Since you can't be there yourself, I want you to see as much as I possibly can What it's like, not from a TV vantage point, but from an on-the-ground vantage point. That's why I try and show you as much behind the scenes as I can, get you as much access as I can. And boy, that was a, man, that was an environment. That's a one-hander. That's a phrase I came up with several years ago to describe that handful of events that just stand so far out above the rest. You got five fingers on one hand, so it's really hard to crack that top five, but this easily did that. Easily. I mean, if I had three fingers on my hand, like Mima used to have, she had a an axe incident when she was younger with her brother, and it took off three of her fingers. She wrote, my grandma wrote her whole adult life using her pinky and thumb. That's it. I want you to think about that. She had legible penmanship with a pinky and thumb. 
that's what she used to write. Anyway, uh, Meemaw was the outlier. Most of us do have all five of our digits. The Penn State game, though, even if Meemaw were here, would make her one-hand list, and she only had a top two. So yes, it was that memorable. But I'll give you some stories about that as we go on here. I cannot overemphasize enough how awesome it is to go on the road and meet you guys. Airports, hotel lobbies and parking lots everywhere, including the game, obviously. And now that we've gotten a few weeks in and I don't have to be specific, I can be very generic with this. Let me also tell you what's happening. A lot of coaching staffs listen to the show. A lot of players on teams listen to the show. Equipment managers, recruiting coordinators, player personnel folks, all kind of people listen to the show. So if you ever want to know who you're listening along with, I can assure you every week so far, we've been to three games. Every week I've gone to a game and I've been on the field, I have been approached by people with teams that you know can't go on the record and say it, but off the record, love the show, man. Love what you do. Please keep it up. And we will. We absolutely will. It's not that you're saying stuff they always agree with. It's not that you're painting the most rosy picture of their program every time you open your mouth. There's just an appreciation for authenticity, which is the only way that we ever allow this show to happen. And you guys say the same thing, and that's really what matters the most. But I just thought you'd be interested in that. I mean, I'm looking, again, at an analytics report every Monday delivered to me. I cannot begin to describe to you how many thousands of people that we have added per episode just in the last few months. It's called a compounding effect in the data world, but really all it is is a hockey stick. You try and put together a good product, and we've tried to do that, and then all of a sudden it goes from a little bit of growth, a little bit of growth, to boom, just like a hockey stick. At the very end of it, it just swoops up, and right now we are swooping as a show. Really fun to be a part of, and uh, you've made it happen, so now you're going to reap the benefits because we just get to do a whole lot more with this. I mean, I'm really excited, for instance, with what we can do with the Renaissance Tour. Every town I've been in, you guys have asked, is there an event? Are we going to do an event? Well, uh, not yet, but that's with a dot, dot, dot on the end. I believe that you smarter people would call that an ellipsis. You never know what that could turn into. So just keep pushing for it would be my suggestion. All right, let's dive in here. I got a lot to get to, and we will go as we do again every Tuesday and Thursday. For those new, we do a mailbag. If you want to submit a question, joshpate706 at gmail.com is the email. You can hop in DMs, Twitter, or Instagram at LateKickJosh, and make sure you're following on those platforms, even if you don't have a question to ask, because there's a lot that happens there that I don't have room, nor do I have the time to get to on the pods and the regular shows. So let's dive right on in. I lost my place. All right, I found it. Okay, so Isaac asked a question. He said, Currently, a lot of people are talking about how important the regular season is, and they aren't focused on the playoff because there is so much that's unknown. With the playoff expansion being delayed, do you think we will continue to see the regular season get the recognition it deserves over the next few years? Well, it will on this show. That I can promise you. I don't even, I mean, I outright refuse to talk about the playoff right now, so much so that I have been using the X emoji over the P, so I don't even have to say the full word. I may start whispering the word playoff in September at least. Isaac, here's what's happening right now. I'm not so sure it has anything to do with the format as much as it has to do, as we warned you in July, that we're in the middle of a renaissance season. The renaissance season just essentially meaning there's a lot of balance. There's a lot of competitive parity out there right now. Everyone thinks they've got a shot. Everyone thinks the big boys are vulnerable. They should because they are. Oklahoma's vulnerable. Bama, finally, you saw them taste a little bit of their own blood this past weekend, even in a win. Clemson, Who in the world knows when they're going to score again? Ohio State's had such underwhelming early season results, they've already shifted their defensive coaching staff. So Isaac, when you have that happening, 
people's attention is on the here and now. I would argue it always should be, but it's on the here and now. Now, here's what I want to caution you guys against. Be ahead of the curve on this. Don't be the person who is shocked in October or November when a team that everyone's already tossed in the ditch and left for dead right now ends up getting up, dusting themselves off, putting on a new pair of pants, getting back on the road. I don't know why you needed to put on pants. When did the pants even come off? Horrible metaphor. It's just a metaphor that's gone sideways, but I can't stop now. I got to keep going. All right, so inexplicably, the pants were off, but now they're back on, and the car door's shut. You're back on the road. There's going to be a team, maybe more than one, but at least one team that look around right now, we've already left for dead, that's going to get its act together in a year where it's able to climb the ladder again, and they're going to be in the middle of that playoff conversation. I think it could be North Carolina, but there are several programs. I asked this on Twitter today. I said, which team out there has been left for dead that's going to end up getting back up and getting back in the thick of the playoff race? Uh, Iowa State, obviously, is the one I hope it is. That was mentioned by our buddy Brandon Walker. Uh, but also, there were several other programs thrown out there. Wisconsin, that's a prime example of a team that could do that. I went with North Carolina, number one, because what the ACC looks like right now. Number two, because the candidate that I have in mind is one that can score potentially in bunches. And what you're trying to see if they can do is get their defensive act together, since we're talking about acts so much right now. They've got to get a defensive product on the field that's not going to be shut down in nature. Their, their ceiling is well below that caliber. But what you can do is you can start playing more opportunistic football defensively. You can start improving your percentages in the red area. You can up your havoc rate. You can up your turnover rate. And those sorts of things over, let's say, a five- or six-game stretch, which is largely when that hot streak would start, again, in theory, that's the kind of stuff a team like North Carolina could pull off. But because, Isaac, this is the kind of year where if you're going to have a two-loss team make the playoff, this would be it, you can't start dismissing and discounting teams when they've got one loss. Because by default, with the way things are trending right now, certainly we're going to have multiple one-loss teams in the playoff. You could very much have a two-loss team in the playoff. And the other thing you can't discount right now is you can't be ever discounting Cincinnati. You shouldn't have. You know my take on that. Again, I've already talked too much playoff here for my taste, but you know my take on that. It's been this way since the summer, and I still feel this way now. If that team goes undefeated, I think they'll be in the playoff. That, at the time, was even independent of what the rest of the country was going to look like. But the reason I felt so confident in saying that was because what I expected to happen elsewhere has happened. I didn't think Oklahoma was going to be great. I didn't think Ohio State or Clemson were going to be great. I had questions about Alabama, although I had them my preseason number one and still have them number one. It's just the odds were so overwhelming to me that we were going to have a bunch of chaos. I don't even think we've seen the peak of the chaos yet, by the way. Teams haven't even started to get injured yet. You have any clue what this could look like in October and November? So anyway, I said all that with Cincinnati because I thought that college football was going to clear a path for Cincinnati as long as they took care of their business. Well, so far they have, and so far on the other side of that coin, college football is clearing a path for them. They're going to be in the playoff, guys, whether you like it or not. I'm not talking about whether I like it or not. I'm telling you, independent of how we feel about it, I think they're going to be there if they take care of their business. Uh, Garland is up next. He said, with regards to USC and the coaching search out there, do you think the early firing of Clay Helton is on the minds of programs like LSU, FSU, and Nebraska somewhat, 
even though that program isn't on the same level as others right now. I ask this with the thought in mind that they could all be competing for the same pool of candidates. Yeah, Garland, I think South Carolina adopted this strategy last year. South Carolina, remember in the COVID year, we initially were hearing a lot of folks say, this year, everyone's going to get a pass. I never bought into that. I told you that on the pod. I never bought into that. And it turned out that there wasn't much to buy into because once South Carolina pulled the early season trigger on Will Muschamp, it was a free-for-all. And everyone started to either make moves or at the very least acknowledge we're open to making a move. Well, South Carolina, I thought was pretty genius in doing what they did because I thought they were taking advantage of an unprecedented opportunity. Now, it ended up not mattering for them given the guy they hired because they could have had Shane Beamer anytime they wanted to. That doesn't mean it's a bad hire. It just it goes against the example I'm about to set forth for you. So what I was thinking with South Carolina at the time is exactly what you're talking about here. You're saying, if we're all going to compete over the same three or four guys, let's get a head start so that we can put our best foot forward. We can, you know, you get the obvious advantage of having the jump on everyone. Well, South Carolina looked around, and this is what I was thinking at the time. I was thinking, they may look around and they may say, okay, some of these other programs may be hesitant to fire their head coach. So let's not only fire ours now if we're certain about this, but let's also do it early in the season so that not only will we get a jump on other programs, but maybe those programs don't even make a move. And so we have an artificially favorable coaching search environment that will never happen in any other year. Now, again, that didn't end up mattering because South Carolina went and got Shane Beamer. But what if they would have targeted someone of, let's say, a bigger a bigger national stature. Maybe Shane Beamer's completely right for South Carolina. But what if they would have wanted to go hire, let's say, a more well-renowned nationally recognized name? Well, that would have been the thinking there. Well, USC obviously is going to be in the market to hire a name that fits that kind of description. LSU, you mentioned there. That's interesting. There are some people, as I shared with you last week, in the coaching agent world that do believe the LSU job will ultimately come open. I'm not there yet. Uh, obviously, we're in the middle of a season. Ed Orgeron and I thought his staff did a really good job of getting off the deck and getting a convincing win against Central Michigan this past weekend. You can take it for granted all you want to. That line was 19 and a half, and they covered one thing by four touchdowns. So I certainly don't discount that. But again, we all know what happens if they lose Saturday. They play at Mississippi State, and that is under a touchdown spread. And so that's one that bears close watching. Anyway, I'm saying that to say, there are people in the industry that expect that job to come open. Yes, if that happens, Southern Cal will have a fight on their hands with LSU for most candidates. I'm telling you most candidates would choose LSU as a job over USC right now. You can believe that or not. It's not opinion. That is just fact that has been said into my ears. But other than that, the, the Florida State, that was a weird one to throw in there. I don't think Mike Norvell is under any threat of being fired this year. Just point blank. I know it's not a good product on the field right now. I don't think he's going anywhere. So I will dismiss FSU entirely unless there's some kind of scandal that breaks out. And bad play is not enough of a scandal, by the way. But LSU, uh, yeah, absolutely USC is already there. I wouldn't put Nebraska in this pool. I don't think they are fishing in the same pond. They are fishing in a pond. The others would probably be fishing in the ocean. And I also question whether Nebraska will make a move on Scott Frost. I would really question that. I don't know what the criteria is there and if it matches what the national criteria would be for when it's time to move on from a coach, especially when it's a coach that is one of your own. Jeff, up next, in your opinion, 
is the college play starting to shift back to an emphasis on power running game with elements of spread offense? Jeff, yes. Yes. Had multiple coaches tell me this. It's very simple. You don't have to have played or coached a down of college football ever to understand what's happening. For a long time, if you turned on your TV on Saturday, you have seen the spread offense is an overly simplistic term, but you have seen quite literally, if you don't know anything about football, you have seen offenses spread out. You have seen receivers closer to the sideline than you used to see. Those wider splits, there's a reason for that. You've seen offensive linemen not stand as close to each other as you may have seen two decades ago. There's a reason for that. And conversely, with all of the running around and running around and running around, you probably saw some oversized linebackers being made fools of. Well, guess what defensive coaches did? They adapted their recruiting strategy, and they evolved the critical traits that they look for in a linebacker. And gone are the days where you see 6'4", 250 roaming the middle of the field there at the linebacker position. They had to sacrifice that. They dropped size in order to get more athletic and faster so that they could have linebackers that were more versatile and could cover in space. It's really that simple. Well, that was not going to continue forever. As you've seen in the Big 12, you've seen teams like Iowa State. You've seen teams like Kansas State at certain times. Whereas it used to look like a pinball game out there in the Big 12 with receivers running all over the place, all of a sudden, some what you would consider to be under-talented, undermanned rosters started figuring out a way to keep teams like Oklahoma occasionally in the 20s. Like, how does that happen, given what we had been seeing out there? Well, what happened is they got a little undersized, they sacrificed some size to get some athleticism, but they also evolved and adapted their scheme. Well, now we get back to the question that was just asked. Is it an illusion, or are we seeing a little bit of more of a shift towards power with some spread elements? Well, yes, you are. Several teams have started to do this again. It's like what's old is new again. Because if you were to look across the ball and you see undersized linebackers, what is the first thing that you'd want to do? You'd want to make them prove they can stop the run. And if they can't, the game becomes so academic at that point. It's so much easier to just run the ball, to do what Michigan's doing right now, for example. 17 passes, 48 runs, call it a day. Run it up on someone, splatter them all over the place, call it a day. Well, that's what offensive staffs are doing now. If we can get big and we can run it at you because all of a sudden you've recruited these undersized linebackers and in some cases defensive linemen, then we're going to impose our will on you. Yes, that is the case. I think that absolutely is happening. You saw a little bit of this on display with Florida and Alabama. Alabama doesn't have the size even at inside linebacker that they used to have. Henry Toa Toa, Christian Harris, those kinds of guys, they did not have their best games by any stretch of the imagination Saturday, and it was because of two things. Number one, Florida's offensive line largely worked Alabama, and number two, because of number one, they were able to get up to the second level, and guess what those linebackers weren't able to do? They weren't able to do what a 6'4", 250-pound Rolando McLean or Dante Hightower could have done a decade ago because they don't have the size to stand up to it. They can't trade the physicality. They're not built to do that. So yeah, Jeff, I don't think it's an illusion at all. I absolutely think that we have seen that shift. Let's go up here to Wesley's question. Wesley said, <laughs> it's a funny observation because it's true. Wesley said, I thought it was wild watching your Twitter account Saturday night and into Sunday. The location went from Beaver Stadium to Pittsburgh International Airport to Nashville in the span of a few hours. Where did the sleep fit in? Wesley, I'm glad you asked this because, my friend, there was none. Here was my little timeline. I'm going off memory, but I can tell you this is accurate. I woke up Saturday in Pittsburgh. I stayed in Pittsburgh. I woke up Saturday 
at about 9 a.m. And that's sleeping in big time for me. So I woke up at 9 a.m. knowing I had a full day and knowing it was going to be very sketchy if I could ever get some sleep. So I drove over to State College, uh, met up with a great camera guy that CBS hooked me up with. Brian, been in the business a long time, uh, great dude. And he, boy, he had an experience uh, the next day too. I'll tell you about in just a second. So anyway, I drive over to State College, giving myself plenty of time. So I got over there several hours early. I normally like to get in the stadium if I'm going to a night game so I can watch the 3.30 games. Anyway, so we get over there. I get in. I watch the Alabama game. Basically, the entire second half, just sitting alone in Beaver Stadium, which in and of itself is kind of surreal. It's a really good setting. It's a really good seat out of 110,000. Just go pick one. And so then, obviously, time marches on. One of my favorite Tracy Lawrence songs of all time. And it's time for team arrivals. I get down the tunnel. I went and saw that. Saw the herd of uh, students masquerading as wildebeests come through there, as I talked about on the show last night on Late Kick Live. The game happens. The aftermath happens. No one wanted to leave for a long time. I uh, covered uh, James Franklin's post-game press conference. Talked to a lot of people. Both of our Penn State guys, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz, had lengthy conversations on the field with them. Uh, those guys do a great job over at Lions 24-7. If you want to check that out, I would strongly, strongly encourage you to. A lot of great Penn State content over there. And so then, here's the question you have. When do you leave, and what is the motivation to leave? So this is where it gets a little hairy. So it's well after midnight. We're going on Eastern time at the moment. And I've got a flight that boards at 6.45 a.m. Pittsburgh is a little over two hours away. Traffic is a nightmare. So I get out of that stadium about 1.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I get out in lot 31 there, and it is a standstill. So I sat there, probably didn't move 15 yards in 30 minutes. And then I just decided to get wild. And I got out of line, and I just drove over to where I thought I saw a road. I kid you not. I've never been to Pennsylvania before, much less a Penn State game. Obviously, all these people have. And I never hit my brakes again. I don't know how I got out of there. I could not retrace my steps if I tried to. But I got out of there in like five minutes. I'm on the interstate. And I'm at 80 miles an hour. I'm on the way back to Pittsburgh. So I finally get back to Pittsburgh about 4 a.m. I immediately start putting the show together. I have consumed copious amounts of caffeine on this drive, so I'm not even remotely tired at the moment. So I put a lot of the show together. I tried to start watching replays of some condensed games. One of the beauties of working inside this business is you can have people cut condensed games up for you and send them to you in a private file so you can have them to watch. Those are lifesavers. If some of you want to get in on that, by the way, email me. I could always use more editors. And you get to watch the game while you're doing it, so you learn something too. Anyway, so I got a couple of games watched, and then I head over to the airport, drop the rental car off, and TSA is a nightmare because uh, it's so early at the airport that a uh, majority of their workers aren't there yet. Did not think I was going to clear security and get to the gate in time. I made it with about five minutes to spare. We still have not slept, by the way. And so we get on the plane. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, Southwest. Nonstop service from Pittsburgh to Nashville Sunday morning. Get into Nashville. It is about 8.30, 8.45 when I finally get into the apartment. Finish putting the show together, which is a chore. It is a big lift on a Sunday. I don't complain. I love it. But because I insist on producing all my shows, that means I got a lot to do. I, also, you got to watch the games. I had a lot of games that I could not have watched on Saturday for obvious reasons. And so you're trying to do all that. You're trying to accumulate your elements. Keep in mind, point spreads, lines are being released on Sunday. So I've got our model being run 
This is all happening simultaneous. I've got our model being run. So I get our model data. It spits out all of its projections to me. Then Circa World opens for the point spreads. And then shortly thereafter, a lot of the books open up. And so I'm trying to get our Ramen Noodle Express picks out. We had four of them, by the way, on Sunday afternoon. Then I got to get over to the actual studio and we got to put the show together and I've got to accumulate all my thoughts, make sure we hit everything. I've got to get the video from the animator, one of you, by the way, for our Renaissance tour location. I've got to get that submitted to either Stamford, Connecticut or Fort Lauderdale, Florida to get loaded in Ross Inception's rundown so we can show it on air. And I'm doing all this, obviously, Wesley, as you have surmised, on no sleep. And so we do the show. I was proud of the show we did Sunday night. I don't think I screwed up one name, and that's a miracle even when I'm fully rested, much less when I don't have any rest. Afterwards, I recorded a podcast. I did an appearance for this upcoming week and also did some social cut-ups and whatnot. Got in bed probably around midnight, and I ran the math. That means it was about 24, 36, about 40 hours consecutive with no sleep. And yet... As I was telling you earlier, the same buddy that I used as the sounding board for how I should handle Instagram, I was talking to him about that, and I said, you know, make no mistake, it was nice when my head finally hit the pillow, but you got to understand something, man. As so many of you would agree with if you were in the same exact position I'm in, this is dream job stuff. This is quite literally handpicking a game that you want to go to from anywhere in the country and then having your company send you there and getting to stand on the sideline for it and then coming back home and they pay you to talk about it. I'll stay up a couple of days for that, man. God made spring and summer to sleep during. Fall is no time to sleep. There is too much going on. We wait all year for this, do we not? So absolutely, if you got to stay awake, you just stay awake. This is not actually work. This is just a hobby that I happen to be paid to get to do. It's not work. If I were working down in a coal mine somewhere, 40 hours consecutive is a pretty tough chore. This is just college football, man. This is, this is fun. This is the kind of stuff that 10 years ago, if I had the financial means, I would throw every last dime I had into a road trip where I also didn't sleep that allowed me to go to Penn State and Auburn because I know those those things just don't happen all that often. College football, as we talked about so many times in this podcast, it is about memories, regular season memories in most cases. They're encapsulated. They're enshrined. Think about this because I know good and well in a crowd of that size, just an ocean of people, not even a sea, an ocean of people. There had to be several hundreds or thousands who experienced their first ever game. Maybe it was a 10-year-old kid. Let's just say a dad takes his 10-year-old kid to his first Penn State game. If that kid lives out his average or her average life expectancy, they're getting into, what, their 70s? And so they have six decades. They have over half a century left of life to live. They'll think about that night as long as they live, as long as they have their mental faculties about them. When you start talking about favorite memories, that's one of them. Consider being a part of that. Consider being able to do that and then do it every week. And you tell me that you're about to complain about not having some sleep. No complaints. No complaints whatsoever. Absolutely love doing it. I would turn the volume up even more if I could. And I just realized that I completely forgot the ad break, so let's go to it right now. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And just like that, I'm back. Uh, Dakota had a really good question. He said, I've been an Oregon fan my whole life. I'm curious as to what your take on us is right now. Definite ascension mode. That's a kind of a caliber or a category that we place programs in sometimes. They are rising. Oregon is rising. I was curious as to how they would perform against Stony Brook of all teams last week. What I didn't want to do is I didn't want to be standing in Beaver Stadium and look up at the scoreboard and all of a sudden some random score pops up and it says, Oregon 23, Stony Brook 20, uh, early fourth quarter. That kind of stuff happens sometimes, especially when you're coming off what they were coming off of, which was a big-time win on the road at Ohio State. I know it wasn't a perfect game. It wasn't a flawless game. Uh, Anthony Brown got hurt. Ty Thompson got in. Could be a blessing in disguise. Not the, not the injury, obviously, but being able to get him some game reps. But they took care of business. They pulled away. That's the important part. Oregon is a team right now that I think is realizing what it is capable of. That locker room, sometimes you have to taste it, and they definitely did on the road at Ohio State. It's like the old Roger Bannister four-minute mile thing. No one, at least on record, had run a sub-four-minute mile, and then Roger Bannister ran one. Well, since then, thousands and thousands of people have run sub-four-minute miles. So the question always was, well, were they not capable of it until Roger Bannister did it? Or did they just have to see that it was possible to then realize, oh, I could do that too? Sometimes that exists and then manifests itself in a locker room, in a team environment, a team setting, where you just have to do something to know that it could be done. Well, all of a sudden, Oregon goes into Columbus, Ohio, and they beat Ohio State in the shoe. And they have to have looked in the mirror and said, well, if we're capable of that, what else are we capable of? Well, they were always capable of it is the point. But that's in the past. Now, if they realize it and they're in ascension mode, and this is clearly the best roster Mario's had there, you never know what they're capable of. Because also keep something else in mind. This is not just in a vacuum. This Oregon team is also existing in the same year where we do see flaws with all the other teams. There is no juggernaut out there. What's the team right now? you're looking at and saying Oregon would never have a shot against them. Oregon would have at least a puncher's chance at any of these teams right now, including Alabama. They wouldn't have a good shot. They'd have a puncher's chance at them just because those teams are not the caliber with Alabama, for example, even that we saw last year. So it's really a good time. It's a good year for this to be happening for Oregon. I think they're going to end up getting a taste of the postseason. I think they're going to get that taste, and what they do with it remains to be seen, but Keep in mind, this version of Oregon, the Mario Cristobal Oregon, they have not been there yet. And so, you know, the Pac-12 championship situation even last year was kind of weird. But this year, yeah, it's set up very well for Oregon right now. It's about consistency. The tightrope keeps getting higher and higher. You can't afford to fall the later you get in the season. You know all the old cliches. So I'm looking forward to watching them. 
I'm going to have Mark take us home here because Mark asked a question that kind of went in line uh, with the second to last question. Uh, Mark was at the Florida-Alabama game. And so here's what he said. I think a lot of you are going to be able to identify with this. He said, have you ever had a time when a game atmosphere was so good that it affected you up to a day or two afterwards? I had that experience in Gainesville on Saturday. I'm an Alabama grad. I made the day trip out of it since I live in Florida now. From the time I got out of the swamp, I just had a feeling of appreciation and awe for what I saw and experienced, especially the whole Tom Petty won't back down performance from the crowd between the third and fourth quarters. That is awesome, by the way. I've seen that from field level. I've got a video of that on my Instagram. That is, that's pretty awesome. He continues, it was still there on the drive home and I've thought about it the whole day today. And the only thing I've had like that was the 2013 home game against LSU at night when I was in the student section. Mark, yes, yes, this happens to me. And yes, I guarantee you, if you're fortunate enough to have attended some games and you're listening right now, maybe you're driving around Frankfort, Kentucky, or even Philadelphia, Mississippi, home to one of the most picturesque EF5 tornadoes you will ever see, incredibly violent. I would encourage you, find the Philadelphia, Mississippi EF5 tornado on YouTube. It it was racing, screaming. It was on April 27th, one of the most catastrophic days in southern U.S. history. But man, what a just from a purely atmospheric scientific standpoint, what a picturesque sight. Anyway, maybe you're driving around and you're thinking about a game that you have been to. I guarantee you, for example, if you live in Philadelphia and you were there the day at Ole Miss that you guys beat Alabama and then proceeded to carry the goalpost out of the stadium and down the road, I would say that that date has probably stuck with you. It had to have stuck with you several days or maybe even weeks and months and years after you experienced it. Uh, Mark, I'm telling you, man, this last weekend, this is not recency bias. This last weekend for me was that. I remember going into the year when we were trying to map out our travel schedule. This day was always going to be tough because we have Bama going to Florida. As you well know, that doesn't happen very often. And then we also had the Auburn-Penn State whiteout situation. And for a kid like me from the Deep South, I've never been able to experience that. And I certainly don't see our teams go up to the north very often. I grew up 45 minutes from Auburn. Last time they went to the Big Ten was 1931. So i you know, trying to figure out which environment, which memory is going to be better to have experienced. It turns out there wasn't a wrong choice last Saturday. Because I don't think anyone who was in attendance down in Gainesville says, man, I wish I wasn't here today. That was a waste of time. That was a classic. It was a great place to be. So was Penn State. But uh, I think you and I are in the same boat, Mark, because I'm telling you right now, I have had trouble shifting gears, which I normally never have problem doing. I've had a little bit of trouble shifting gears to this week. Now, that's about to change in earnest later tonight because it is prediction night on Late Kick Live. So by the time the sun goes down, or at least the clock strikes midnight on Tuesday, we will have predicted Arkansas versus Texas A&M, among other games. And so, obviously, it's time to turn the page. But yes, brother, I have experienced that. That national championship game in 2017, the Alabama over Georgia game, I've told you this story before. I lived an hour south of Atlanta where the game was. I did not leave that building. I did not leave Mercedes-Benz Stadium until the sun was rising the next morning. That was the second 26 game, the Alabama walk-off for a national championship, and I'm standing on the field for it. That was just euphoria. It wouldn't have mattered who was playing. The teams were totally irrelevant. It was the experience. It was the moment. 
So unbelievable. I mean, that one stuck with me for a long time. I was talking about that and watching replays of that for days and days and days afterwards. I've been doing the same thing with this Auburn-Penn State game. I'll tell you one thing I regret is I've been able to experience a lot of really cool stuff that I've forgotten just because you forget stuff. I mean, any normal person forgets things if you're not like a Rain Man type. And so what I wish is that from the very beginning, when I started to get to go to games, I wish I would have kept a thoughts log like I do now. My flight home consists of me literally writing down everything I can remember about the previous day, about the trip, so that I can reference it. You know, when it comes February or March, and I want to have some storytelling-type segments, I want to be able to remember every single detail of a trip that I took in week two or week nine. And I do that now. I haven't always done that. But it's so funny how vivid it makes the memory. This obviously works for more than just football. It is so important to write down details about your memories and your day-to-day activities. It's so crazy what it does to better sculpt and round out your overall memory. Because if you remember something about one day five years ago, then chances are you also remember something that bookended it before or after, and it just gives you a more complete recollection. And I don't know, I started doing that. I wish I would have always done it. So the reason I'm saying that, Mark, is because there are probably three or four other games that I experienced incredible things at, like the Tennessee, I'll tell you one I just thought of. It was in 2016, Tennessee at Georgia. Josh Dobbs hits Jawan Jennings in the end zone. Hail Mary, no time left. Georgia had just scored a go-ahead touchdown with less than 30 seconds to go in the game, and then Tennessee answers back with a Hail Mary, and I was right there. It happened right in front of me. I got some of the best cell phone footage ever for that game. That was one of those games that up until I started talking and responding to this question, I hadn't thought about in quite a while. I had not thought about that. I mean, that should be burned in your memory, and it is, but I had to be able to recall it, so now I just recalled it. Had I written things down that day, man, I'd be able to tell you every detail of that afternoon like the back of my hand, so we're rectifying that now. Uh, But I say all that to say, yes, Mark, I have experienced that, and I hope to experience much more of that. The one of many fortunate aspects of what I get to do now is you get to put yourself in position to have that. And then you guys get to benefit because I get to tell you all about it, including some stuff you didn't see and some things you didn't even know happened before, during and afterwards, which makes the all access segments we do during the downtime a lot of fun. All right, I got to get this sent to producer Jordan. I really appreciate you guys supporting the show and supporting the brand. Three of you got on national TV Saturday. Three of you. Two of you got on SEC Nation. One of you got on College Game Day. That makes four in two weeks. And I want to remind you, I am almost ready. I'm so close to being ready to tell you what you're going to get. It's going to be unique. There's nothing else out there like it. I can tell you that. If you get this program, you get the brand, you get Pate State or Late Kick, if you get us national exposure of any kind, you are going to get something I am, again, not ready to tell you what it is yet because it's being built. Uh, They, multiples, are being built. But already we got four heroes with hardware coming their way. We'll see if we make it three weeks in a row this Saturday. But either way, man, I appreciate it. It's It's so awesome to see that. So thank you so much. Again, for Producer Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your day, and God bless. It is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. 
Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.